everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor, and welcome to yet another battle for purple royalty. Uh, winner's the only one that gets to wear purple, unless, of course, K-State loses, in which case they get to keep wearing purple. But, uh, you know, it's another matchup up against TCU after the much ballyhooed matchups last year including in the big 12 championship game but let's just dive straight into their stats from last year uh connor you have the offensive side of the ball here yep so last year of course they went 13 and 2 and made their college football playoff run if any run in the playoff can even be called that it's just winning two games (laughs) but they finished 13 and 2 of course losing the national title and the big 12 championship Uh, and their rushing yards they came just a little shy of 2,900 at 2,899, have 5.1 yards per attempt, and 37 rushing touchdowns. They had 3,926 passing yards at 8.6 yards per attempt and a completion percentage of 64.3%. They had a decent passing touchdowns to interceptions ratio of 33 to 8. They had a third down percentage of 39.8% conversion rate which is all right Uh, and then red zone percentage they scored a touchdown 69 percent of the time and they scored 84 percent of the time they allowed 30 sacks on the year they scored 38.9 points per game that's a total 584 from last year yeah so a lot of last year's team was based on explosiveness because they were a massively explosive team that wasn't just limited to the passing game that was running game as well, both with um, Kendra Miller and Max Duggan being big parts of it. But in terms of defense, they were allowing 29 points per game, 435 total points against, giving up 3,740 passing yards, 25 passing touchdowns, 2,383 rushing yards, and 29 rushing touchdowns against, a red zone touchdown percentage of 64% and 84% scoring on defense, 16 picks, 19 fumbles forced, 29 sacks total, and then a turnover differential of plus six. So they were a pretty, well, they gave up a lot of yards and gave up a lot of touchdowns, but I think a lot of those were the explosive plays because their red zone touchdown percentage was pretty solid, but I also think that if it wasn't an explosive play, they just kind of let them into the red zone a lot. The, the patented bend don't break, but sometimes break anyway. <laughs> but, you know, this team is perhaps one of the most interesting in terms of notable returns and losses. So, Connor, you have the, you have the return slash additions, which takes, for the first time in a very long while, fills up the entire box. Yep, so TCU brought a lot of people back. And, of course, that starts with Chandler Morris, who was their quarterback earlier this year, but he's uh, been injured the last few games. Uh, And he was also the original starter in their Bay 12 uh, championship run uh, that came up short. He he started that first game of the season all the way back in 2022. Uh, And then Savion Williams at receiver, he was their number four guy last year um, at receiver, and he's back. Jared Wiley was their starting tight end. He's back. He's back as well. Mark Perry at safety, second in tackles. Jamoy Hodge at linebacker. He was third in sacks, and he's been pretty good this year. Uh, Johnny Hodges at linebacker, who tried his best last year and played a lot for some reason. <laughs> yeah, uh, second he's, team All Big Twelve. Yes, I guess <laughs> he. Uh, um, is injured, so may not see him, but it's a little unclear right now. Uh, they bring back Josh Newton, a corner, who was really fantastic last year, uh, and he's going to be a major issue for K-State. Uh, and then here's some additions. Uh, they added John Paul Richardson from Oklahoma State, uh, who's a wide receiver. He's been pretty solid. Uh, Trey Sanders from Alabama, a running back who I think has played some, but has been mostly overshadowed by Amani Bailey. Yeah. Uh, And then another Alabama transfer, Tommy Brockermeyer, who's an offensive tackle. He was not playing. Yeah, he's not been playing at all. And then a third Alabama transfer is uh, Jojo Earl, uh, who's a wide receiver, and we saw him some in the bowl game. So there's a few guys here that we're familiar with. In fact, most of their additions, their key additions, are people that we've played against before. Yeah, so we're we are familiar with their game. <laughs> Indeed, we are. But in terms of losses, that 
there's a lot, and there's a lot of really big pieces to it as well. First and foremost, they lose Quentin Johnston, who is their best wide receiver. He was a first-rounder to the Chargers. End up losing their guard, Steve Avila, who was probably the second-best guard in the country behind Cooper Beebe. Uh, Kendra Miller was a third-round pick to the Saints. He was their running back. Dylan Horton, who was one of their edge players, was a fourth-rounder to the Texans. Darius Davis, who was their kick returner, or one of them, as well as a receiver. He was a fourth-rounder to the Chargers. Travis Hodges Tomlinson, who was a defensive back, went into the sixth round of the Rams. D. Winters, who was their somewhat Mike linebacker. He was just an athlete. He was just an athlete who happened to play linebacker. He was a sixth-rounder to the 49ers. Max Duggan was a seventh-round pick to the Chargers. He was their quarterback. And then Amari De Mercado. Merc- oh, no. Mercado. <laughs> He was a UDFA to the Cardinals, and then Tay Barber was an undrafted free agent to the Buccaneers. That's a lot. That is a lot of production leaving, especially in the receiving core. But that kind of gets us to where they're at this year. Uh, in terms of their schedule, I'll cover their schedule. You can cover their offensive stats. Um, they start off with a loss against Colorado, 42-45. to then beat Nickel State 41-6, beat Houston and SMU 36-13, and then 34-17, and then lost their first two, uh, or their second two, in-conference games against West Virginia and Iowa State, 21-24 against West Virginia, and then 27-14 against Iowa State before absolutely trouncing BYU 41-11 in Fort Worth. So, if you're noticing a trend here, it's either they win big or lose close. <laughs> yeah, and that Iowa State game also was pretty weird because that's the game where uh, Chandler Morris got hurt. Yeah. Uh, and Josh Hoover, their backup quarterback, uh, he Took he over. was suspect in was, that game. He was bad. Uh, so it's, it's been a weird couple of weeks for TCU on the field, not – 100% sure what to make of them with this uh, new quarterback that's filling in for Chandler Morris. Um, but we'll go into that a little bit more later because uh, their 2023 stats overall, and as Ace just mentioned, they're 4-3 and three and 2-2 two and two in conference play, uh, which of course is not where they wanted to be at all coming off of a national championship appearance. But like we covered, they're, they did lose a lot. So yeah, they got a lot of great additions and a few returners, but... They, uh, they've got a long way to go before they're fully calibrated as a team. Uh, then rushing yards, uh, 1,290 on the year for them, averaging 4.8 per carry, which is a little bit down from last year. And then passing yards, 2,129 on the year, and 7.58 per attempt, 18 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Uh, to go with 9 rushing touchdowns and 6.2 total yards per play. And then a third down percentage as an offense of 47.22, which is fantastic. Yeah. They're a, fan, they're a fantastic third down offense. Uh, a lot of that kind of has to do with their offensive philosophy, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in terms of defense, their defensive third down percentage is 34.58, which is solid. Uh, f- allowing five yards per play, which is, see again, solid. Uh, giving up 33.14 points per game, 230, or they're averaging uh, 33.14 points per game uh, with 232 points for, 143 points against, a minus one turnover differential, 19 sacks, and here's the kicker. <laughs> On defense, they're giving up a red zone score 76% of the time, a touchdown 48% of the time, both of which are excellent. Like Those are amazing red zone numbers. And then you get to their offense, where they are only scoring 69% of the time and only scoring a touchdown 52% of the time. So if you've been watching TCU games, uh, you honestly, you literally have a 50% chance between the two sides of getting up, going to the bathroom, and only seeing three points at it. Because they're not scoring touchdowns down there. And that's on both sides. So, you know, credit to both the offense and the defense. But before we get into the actual scouting report, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And we are back to this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats, giving you the scouting report up against the TCU Horned Frogs. Starting off with their offense, starting with play calling, 
Uh, they have a run-pass split of 48% run, 52% pass, so balanced really is the best way to describe it. And they have a new offensive coordinator. I'm not going to say his name out of fear of getting struck down for family sins. But the offense is a blend of the Arkansas offense from last year and the TCU offense from last year. In other words, instead of a lot of the zone GT counter stuff that you saw from uh, Garrett Riley last year from TCU, you're seeing a lot more a lot more of the pin and pull, which still includes things like GT counter, but a lot more power and things like that, as well as a little bit more of the QB running game, though that was more with Chandler Morris than it was with Josh Hoover. I don't see a reason why Josh Hoover couldn't do it, because he does have decent athleticism. We'll get into that in a second. But if you watched Arkansas and you watched TCU, you're still going to notice a lot of through lines. Like, you're going to see a lot of mesh. You're going to see an absurd amount of mesh. Uh, And a lot of the offense is based off of creating rubs or uh, just trying to scheme one guy open to make it as easy for the quarterback as possible, which that's just called a good college offense. But in terms of their more raw numbers, they're running play action 31.9% of the time, which a lot of that has to do with their RPO game. And then screens, 10.5% of their dropbacks. And motion is a significant part of the offense, most notably motion from the slot receiver, which in most cases is going to be a J.P. Richardson or Jack Besh. But yeah, it's, it's a familiar offense is the best way that I would describe it. It's not the Baylor 2012 offense with the insane splits um, and a lot of those principles, but you can tell that it is sort of an evolution of both that offense, an offense that focuses on the QB running game, and Sonny Dykes' more mesh-based offense, also known as a variation of the air raid. But Connor, you have their now starting quarterback in... Uh, this is an unenviable task because the redshirt freshman hasn't played all that much. <laughs> yeah, uh, Josh Hoover, number ten, uh, really haven't seen a lot of him this year. Uh, the most that we've seen him, of course, is the BYU game where he was fantastic, uh, phenomenal PFF grades that week uh, with a ninety-three overall grade and a ninety-two point one the past game then he added a 72.6 in the run game as well so he he was great against BYU who admittedly is a pretty bad team so there's only so much that we can take from it uh, which the uh, opposing view of that is that when he came in against Iowa State he was pretty awful and uh, was just horrendous in that game and was pretty easily contained and corralled by Iowa State, uh, which one that should signal is that he's probably okay. Uh, which uh, he blew out BYU and was really really bad in his first outing, so he's probably a fine quarterback. And so we can't make a ton of his physical talent either, uh, just because we haven't seen much of him. You know, his arm strength seems pretty good, but his accuracy is fine. Uh, and processing is going to be a huge issue for him. Uh, he uh, is, I mean, he's a young quarterback, so the, that's to be expected uh, to a certain degree. He's making his first read, and that's where he's throwing the ball. Uh, but when the first read's going to be covered, we're not really sure how he's going to do working through reads and working through a progression. Yeah, it's either going to be read one or scramble drill. Yeah, so he's gonna he's probably going to deal with a little bit more adversity on that front than he did against BYU when he faces K State. So it's going to be interesting to see what he ends up doing there. Uh, but he does have good pocket awareness. He's very good at climbing, and uh, he's able to get out of the pocket. With a decent degree of consistency and poise, which is pretty unusual for a young quarterback, uh, which he's only, I believe, a redshirt freshman. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's a little bit surprising, um, but it is impressive regardless. But Hoover, for just from watching him, he's um, he wants to work intermediate center and short center more than anything. He, he's a middle field merchant, and that, that's where he wants to live. 
He's not as great, not even close to as great when he's going outside the numbers. And uh, he also doesn't really throw behind the line of scrimmage very much either, uh, which that's just, but if he is, it's going to be center. Uh, again, he does not like throwing to the outside. He wants everything to be right in front of him. And he, he wants as few responsibilities as possible when it comes to uh, deciding where to throw it. I mean, uh, 23.8% of his throws are um, intermediate center. Uh, 15% are short center. The only uh, short area, or the only outside area he doesn't hate seems to be short and to the right. Uh, so uh, there's... If we can cut off the middle of the field, that will be a big advantage, I think, because uh, that's where he wants to live as a passer. So we need to find ways to prevent him from working the middle of the field. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with a lot of times middle of the field. It's You can pretty consistently say, like, oh, middle of the field. Oh, that guy's open right on time. Cool. I need to throw it now. So you're not really – it's more like read and react than it is anything else. But, yeah, he also, weirdly enough, he's pressure doesn't affect him that much. That's really the last thing there, because he's just so good at dealing with, like, moving out. Um, now we get to cover, or I get to cover, I get the, the honor of covering probably the most fun player on this offense, and that's Amani Bailey. Uh, and uh, he's just really fun to watch he is a ull transfer from way back in the day he was here last year or there at tcu last year he's just lightning in a bottle that's the best way to describe him he's 5'9 207 and yet still is probably the fastest player on the team and he gets up to that speed really really quickly and he's also a capable receiver and just solid contact balance so it's probably his weakest trait he's just fast he's just fast and really fun to watch in a lot of ways, I'm not saying this is who he is because the skill sets are completely different, but he's fun to watch in the same way that Isaiah Pacheco for the Chiefs is really fun to watch because <laughs> man's just giving it his absolute all every single rep, and there's a part of you that just has to sign it, kind of respect and love that. Um, in terms of where he's rushing, everywhere. <laughs> there's, there's no like one area that he's particularly fond of. Uh, he'll rush a lot to the middle, to the right and left, but then you get to the the edges where he has basically the same amount of carries. Though his most effective place that he's running is behind his right guard. I think that's a lot of it just kind of has to do with how the pin and pull schemes just end up working out. But also he has 25 carries of 10 plus yards. I, I don't know, man. He's just really, he's fun. He's fun to watch. That's the best way I can describe him. I really enjoy watching him when I'm not having to play him. I imagine like playing against, like having to watch a team that you like play against him, is insanely frustrating. <laughs> I guess we'll figure that out this weekend, won't we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, the only area he doesn't run a lot is off tackle, mm -hmm. which hardly matters because he just runs off the edge and he'll run everywhere else. So yeah, he won't run off tackle much. But he'll still do it enough to where you can't just completely neglect it. Mm -hmm. So he's, I think you're right, he's a really interesting back. He's already got 753 yards on the year. He's averaging over 5.5 per carry. He's only got two touchdowns, which is kind of weird. Um, but that's just, I, I guess, part of being the bell cow back is you work your way down the field and then you're tired by the time you get to the uh, goal to go. So it's a curse of being a primary back, I guess. Yeah, you get vultured a lot. All right, Connor, you can cover the receivers listed here. I'll just shortly talk about the the other receivers after these three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Savion Williams is their wide receiver one right now. He's number three. He's huge as well. He's 6'5", 225. Uh, TCU's always loved their uh, really tall receivers. Uh, that's something that they've always liked, uh, which he's, he's their number one guy. He's developed a bit more from last year. Um he's a bit more complete than he was because last year he was mainly a contested catch guy um and he can do a little bit more he's a better rack threat uh I mean, he's a lot better rack threat uh, but he's still not the best route runner uh, that's just not really his game and he's um running most of his routes again over the middle of the field that's where tcu wants to live 
Uh, he's best intermediate left and intermediate center. Um, although he does also run a lot of deep routes on, on the left side, um, outside the numbers. Although he's not really doing anything out there. He's got one catch on six targets out there. Uh, was a touchdown, but uh, still, that's not a great uh, reception percentage. Uh, no drops though. Yeah, only yeah, no drops on the outside. Uh, and he most targeted short center mesh. <laughs> yeah, mesh. It's it's mesh. Yeah. Which is why he's developed into a rack threat because mesh. <laughs> yeah. So that that's the name of his game. He has one single drop on the year, and it was short center, and some of that's just because of the volume of targets there. Uh, so otherwise, he's doing just fine. He's he's an X receiver. He's the number one guy. Uh, he's no Quentin Johnston. Uh, no. Not even in the same universe as Quentin Johnston, but he he's trying his best, I guess. Yeah. It's also worth noting that he does not have a single contested catch percentage below 50%. Like yeah. if, if the ball is contested and it's possible for him to catch it, he's probably going to catch it. Yeah. This is a game where having Will Lee would be really helpful because neither of our corners really match up with him at all size-wise. No. No, they don't. Then we follow that up with J.P. Richardson, John Paul Richardson. Uh, he's he's just the same guy that he was at Oklahoma State, which is a pretty reliable physical receiver. Uh, he wants to bully the defensive backs that are working on him, but he is not going to ever go up and win a jump ball. Uh, some may call him a gym rat, but he's just someone that holds onto the ball, and he's going to lower his shoulder, and he's going to try and get yards. Uh, after the catch, a la Ben Sinnott, except Ben the tight end, and J.P. Richardson's a receiver. So that that's kind of the, the attitude that he holds. And again, his most targets are short center. Uh, he's got 12 there, 8 catches. He's got a 90.2 grade over the middle within 10 yards. Uh, he's got a touchdown there. He's got 123 receiving yards there. And following that as uh, deep center. Uh, he's going beyond 20 yards there. He's has six targets, four receptions, uh, 125 yards, and a touchdown, a 94 grade there. And uh, he's okay outside the numbers. He isn't really doing a lot of that short, um, or really at all. But his um, best grade uh, for any outside number stuff is... Well, I'm not going to count deep left because there's only one target there. Uh, it's probably his intermediate right where he's uh, got three catches on... Or two catches on three targets, I mean. Um, but still, there's not a ton to derive from here. He's he's a middle field merchant, yet again. That's, that's DCU's old thing. They're going to stretch out your defense and they're going to beat you over the middle with some rub routes that are just going to be really annoying that are never going to get called. Yeah. It's also worth noting that in terms of yards per route run, he in deep center, he's getting 15.6, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like, if he's getting over to that part of the field, if you're letting him do that, you've massively, you've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> but then, of course, you have the other gym rat. Yeah, Jack Besh. Uh, he's six foot two, two hundred twenty pounds. He's pretty built for a receiver. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was watching TCU, uh, I think this past weekend or the weekend before, maybe both, uh, both times, <laughs> I, I thought he was a tight end, and he is decidedly not. He is an LSU transfer, so we've seen him before. We saw him in the Texas Bowl, mm-hmm. and uh, he's more of a finesse guy than the other receivers. But again, being as big as he is, he's difficult to bring down. Uh, so he's. A lot like if John Paul Richardson had more wiggle to his game and played more like a traditional big slot guy. So that that's, that's Jack Besh, really. And again, intermediate middles is best area. Short center, he's getting a lot of targets, but he's not as effective there as everybody else. Uh, although he's the most spread out as far as targets go, um, despite there being a clear... Uh, focus, I guess, on uh, over-the-middle stuff for Jack Besh. Um, again, that's where TCU wants to live their offense, but um, he, he's still not great to the outside, even though he's gotten semi—he's gotten fairly varied targets outside. He's good intermediate center uh, with an 
grade there. Three targets, three catches, 47 yards. Uh, he doesn't have a touchdown yet this year, and he's definitely option three among the wide receivers because he is far behind them in terms of yardage. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if he's at 100, and if not, he's pretty close. Uh, so, yeah. But there, there are also two other major receivers that I would say are, are worth mentioning. They get a lot of guys in rotation. Uh, you obviously, we mentioned Savion, but they also get uh, Jalen Robinson and Warren Thompson involved. Uh, Jalen Robinson is, he's been everywhere. <laughs> uh, started off at Oklahoma, then played at UCF, then Ole Miss. Now he's at TCU. Uh, he's a 5'9", 180 guy, which kind of tells you his skill set. He's the gadget guy slash, you know, more true traditional slot guy. His problem is drops. That's his biggest problem in it. That's sort of followed him everywhere he's gone. But where he does excel is sort of taking opportunities and running with them, where he's going to get a lot of yak after the catch. But, you know, it just depends on him catching it. That's the biggest flaw with his game. And then Warren Thompson, he's just another big-body guy. Transfer from Arkansas, followed the offensive coordinator, who will not be named. Um, he was another example of kind of a glue. I'd kind of describe him as a glue guy uh, when it comes to receiving, but you can definitely tell that him and the offensive coordinator have a very positive relationship because he very much understands what in the offense he's meant to do. And there are a few other guys that you could mention um, most notably Dylan Wright, but they have a lot of receiving options. That's the point. We're not going to belabor that point. They have a lot of receiving options. When speaking of receiving options, talk about their tight ends, starting with tight end one before we give a brief shout out. Um, Jared Wiley, it's just another week where we have to deal with a massive tight end, except for this one's better. <laughs> uh, Jared Wiley, six foot seven, two sixty. Uh, he was a Texas transfer, but he was here last year. I remember his breakout game was against us uh, after I said that he hadn't done much, and then I proceeded to lampshade by saying this would be the game where he catches his touchdown, lo and behold. But uh, this year he's been okay, uh, 63 PFF grade, 67 in the pass. Uh, he's just another example of a physical freak at tight end. He's monstrously tall, big, good hands, speeds that you have to respect. He's also a very willing run blocker. He just uses his frame so it's hard to get around him because he's tall and still somehow built. Um, he's another example of a player that's just... He's an athletic monster. And you can kind of tell that his target share is just about all over the place. And the old adage is a young quarterback's best friend is a good tight end. So if I were to guess, I would say that Josh Hoover is probably going to try and target Jared Wiley a lot. Either that, or he's going to try and target an old friend of ours, Connor. That would be high school classmate, uh, Chase Curtis. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm for one, in the, most, in the most nice way possible, shocked that Chase Curtis is on TCU. And not even because of a skill thing, but because out of high school, he went to go play Juco baseball. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, he's done. Also, in high school, he's a quarterback as well. Yep. And a string bean. Yeah, his string bean. He was like 150 soaking wet at six foot five, <laughs> which is unbelievable that he's now a uh, like rotational tight end that actually plays a considerable amount. Uh, so uh, pretty unbelievable that he's uh, made it to that point. Uh, he was originally a walk-on. I think he's scholarship now. Probably. And uh, so, shout out to him. He's been pretty solid this year, uh, honestly. Uh, in the past game, he's had a, a few nice catches. He's getting involved in most every game. Uh, so, yeah, he deserves a, a shout out. He's not someone that can be overlooked. Uh, yeah, it's definitely weird seeing him on the field, given that it's not the position he played. It's not the sport he originally chose. And he also is, like, 80 pounds heavier. So... <laughs> Or put on weight. D <laughs> D one strength programs got hands. <laughs> well, Connor, you have the left side of the offensive line as well as the center. Yeah. So first of all, in the offensive line in total, they're giving up pressure on twenty five percent of their dropbacks. Bad. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Brandon Coleman, um, he's their left tackle. He's number seventy seven. PFF says he's a guard. He's not. And he's he, six. He played guard earlier this yeah. year. But. Yeah. Yeah, now he's the left tackle, or at least he has been the uh, last couple of games. Uh, he's huge. He's 6'6", 320. 
and uh, it's been up and down for him at left tackle, which maybe isn't a fair thing to say because it's been two games. One was good, one was bad. So um, a few things about Coleman. He's a little slow off the jump, and he's just not the quickest guy off the line, and he's not the lightest on his feet, which maybe is telling given that he was originally a guard. So, yeah, he's not going to be the most fleet-footed, but he's, after four games at left guard, now playing left tackle. So he's in a different role than he normally is, uh, or at least has been this year. So, um, But what he does, though, is he is able to handle power really well. He's a very good anchor on the left side of the offensive line, and a straight-up power rush is not going to beat him often just because, again, he's gigantic, uh, 6'6", 320, and it'll be difficult to uh, really just run through him. That's just not really something that's manageable. Uh, and also, he's um, done a great job improving his hand usage. Uh, so he's constantly feeling for other rushers and prodding at the spot that's likely to be weakest in the rush from the edge. So he's very technically sound. He's a good anchor, uh, but he's um, he's good against the power rush, but not so much against um, outside speed, uh, which for a guard, a natural guard playing left tackle, that's not a shocking evaluation, I don't think. No. Now, it's also worth noting he was our left tackle last year and was actually pretty good. Yeah, so uh, maybe he spent all offseason getting used to being left guard and now he's back at tackle and just doesn't have the same agility. I'm not sure how that all works. <laughs> but uh, So it's a, a been a decent year otherwise for Brandon Coleman. But now we can move on to the left guard, uh, Colton Deary, number 51. He's six foot four and a whopping 345 pounds. That's a big old boy. Yeah, that's like Josh Rivas size. Oh, uh, God, Revo. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about Revo. Yeah, he, uh, um, I don't even think that he was here when you were, or maybe he was in 2019. Yeah, Revo was here. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, he was there for your freshman year. But, yeah, when he got here, he was even bigger as well, I think. I think he, at one point, was nearly 350. <laughs> but, anyway, back to Deary. He's a transfer from Maryland. He played 224 snaps last year at Maryland, and this year he's played 116 snaps, and all of them have come since the SMU game, and they have steadily increased all the way up to 46 snaps against BYU. Uh, he's pass blocking very well this year. Uh, 87 overall grade has never been uh, lower than a 79.7 this season. Uh, his run blocking is awful, though, according to PFF. 49 on the season, never been better than a, uh, a 55. So tough sledding there for him, which ultimately leads to a little slightly below average grade of 56 overall. So it all balances out, I guess. But he's not a super remarkable player. Probably should have mentioned this off the rip. They're dealing with They're dealing with both injuries and they rotate a lot. So, like... They're going to have multiple people play in multiple positions, except for Andrew Coker. Andrew Coker is going to play right tackle. But <laughs> continuing on with your your final one, which is the center, John Lands. Yeah, so we got John Lands here, six four three fifteen, pretty decent size for a center. Uh, he's been playing the entire season. He's their um, their center. That's one position that doesn't rotate as much as center, just because of the communication between the quarterback and the center. No, but he's mostly been pretty decent, uh, although, uh, or at least his grades have been mostly average. Um, but he stands up straight on the line a lot. And if you're an offensive lineman and you do that, you're asking for trouble. Uh, you, you don't want to be the guy that stands up straight because you're asking to get pancaked by a defensive lineman, which is embarrassing. I mean, if you're Pittsburgh High School... Uh, offensive lineman, you're also getting asked to get banged in the back of the head with a stick. <laughs> I don't understand this reference. Yeah, sometimes it, it shoots, basically. But, <laughs> um, yeah, he's also kind of the penalty, uh, penalty happy one. He has five total on the year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, it is, and they always happen at the worst times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, been for TCU for four years. Uh, this year is kind of a middle-of-the-pack year for him. Nowhere close to what was graded as his best season, but it's not his worst season either. He's a 69.1 on offense, a 74.2 in the pass block, and then a 69.2 in the run block. So, all in all, a above-average 
uh, stat line there, or at least PFF grade line for him. But he he's not, you know, incredible. He's or, not a world beater. Yeah, he's not life changing at center. Yeah. I have you for the right side of the line. Starting with the, another massive human being at guard, that's Willis Patrick. Yes, that's his real name. Uh, 6'4", 355. He's a transfer from Jackson State, which makes sense. Big old boy. <laughs> um, his grades, he's graded out pretty all right. Uh, 72 total, or 72.3 offensive grades, 77.4 pass block, and then 69.9 run blocking grade. The best way to describe him is when he's on the move, he looks really clumsy is, I think, the best way to describe him. But he's also the guy that if you ask him to do a pin block or if you're asking him to block straight ahead, he's just such a large human being that it's just hard. It's just difficult to in any way get past him, which I think is why Amani Bailey trusts running behind him so much. Um, so on the move, he looks clumsy, but not horrid. But... Whenever he's the pin guy on a pin and pull scheme, which means that he's the guy taking over for someone who is pulling, watch out. Because if he gets the angle on you, you're, you're dead. Just because of how much he weighs. Uh, and I, I don't want to say it's just because of his weight, because he's a solid technical player as well. But Willis Patrick, load he coming. But <laughs> uh, then we get into Andrew Coker, their right tackle, number 74. Uh, he's 6'7", 315. He's found himself in between his uh, 2021 and 2022 forms. Uh, if you remember the scouting report at this point two years ago, very strange to say, uh, he was. I thought he was a really underrated right tackle. Uh, then Felix ruined him. <laughs> uh, he didn't play very well in 2022, and he's back to a pretty solid, uh, pretty good tackle. I'd say he's pretty comparable to like Christian Duffy at this point, which you take those, but. <laughs> Uh, he does struggle with true power and driving people off the ball, especially if you get underneath him, which he is six foot seven, so <laughs> it's not the hardest thing in the world to get underneath him. And he's also gotten a little bit worse with his footwork, but much, much better with his hands. So he, as I say, as I crack my knuckles, <laughs> um, I didn't do that to make a point, but I guess it made a point anyway. But he, he's good. He's a good right tackle. He was moved from left tackle. Uh, injuries to the in, or the other left tackle caused Coleman to kick out to left and then Coker to move out to right. I think he's probably a more natural left, given his grades. Uh, I think he's just kind of dealt with someone in front of him, and they don't want to constantly have him switching his footwork up. But yeah, Andrew Coker, good right tackle. That's kind of how I would describe him. <laughs> Andrew Coker, good. <laughs> But, Connor, you have the uh, defensive scheming as well as the personnel. Yep, so they're still running the 3-3-5 that uh, they ran last year. Uh, they still run the same uh, three-tight front as last year. So they're running a nose tackle, three-tech to the weak side, five-tech to the strong side. Uh, what they have adjusted, though, is that they've started moving a safety down into the RPO slant space a little bit more often, uh, which we don't run that a ton so it's not going to hopefully not affect us too badly. Uh, but I guess we'll see with what they want to do if Avery plays more. Okay. Uh, so it's pretty standard fare. Uh, most of the Big 12 runs a 3-3-5. Uh, I think there's a handful of teams that don't still. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're pretty much past the, uh, the unbreaking point of the Big 12 being a 3-3-5 conference. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, that's their uh, scheming. And then personnel uh, and coverage, they're playing a little bit more man coverage than they did last year, uh, which they do. They did already prefer that. Um, but they're leaning into it a little bit more as well this year. Yeah. I'll also let you take the uh, the interior defensive linemen because we had a lot more to say about them than the edge players. Yeah. So on the interior... Um, I believe these are the same guys that they had last year. The exact same guys. Yep. Uh, Demonic Williams is number 52, and then they also have Tymon Mitchell at number 91. They have a few guys that rotate that exist, but it's mostly these two guys. Uh, Demonic Williams, uh, he's uh, a huge force in the middle of their defensive line, and it's just because he's really, really, really strong. Uh, He uses his strength to long-arm people, 
and he is a nose tackle in the true sense of the word in that he uh, just doesn't let himself be moved. His, his job is to take up space, and he's pretty good at that. Uh, the only way to get him to move laterally, uh, um, it, or the only way to get him to move is laterally, um, and sometimes that can work to the advantage of the defense anyways, uh, which truly frightens me with Gilly, and I, I'm definitely a little worried about that matchup, uh, just because of how big uh, um, Dominic Williams is. Uh, so that that's a potential issue and thing to watch for, and I guess we'll see how we adjust our running game for it. But then we also have Tymon Mitchell. Uh, he um, will play with his head down and doesn't really look where he's going, and uh, as a consequence, he's pretty easy to wash down and uh, just break the force to his side. Uh, he doesn't keep his eyes in the backfield, uh, which pretty much what that's saying is he's going to get an initial look right after the snap, and then he's going to keep running that way. So misdirection can really harm him, uh, as well as play action uh, or draws. Pretty much anything um, that involves anything other than doing exactly what it looks like you're doing <laughs> uh, is, a, is a good way to take time and neutral pretty much out of the play. Yeah. Then you have their two edge players who... they're The edge players are kind of difficult to say anything about because edge players is a relative term in the 3-3-5. Um, first off is Paul Oyewale, uh, or Oyewale. I don't know how it's either way. Uh, he just doesn't... He's not explosive at all. <laughs> um, and even if he was, he doesn't use angles properly to actually set up the rush. He's really someone who seems like he's playing the run every single down. But he's just... Even then, he's just kind of okay at that. Because he's just running himself into the blocker more than he's trying to actively rush the quarterback or get around them. So he's almost treating himself like he's a rock. Like, he's treating himself like a rock that eventually is just going to break through somehow. Um, And his grades are above average on PFF. 67.5 defense, 69 exactly run defense, 61.1 pass rush. Meh. (laughs) It's just the ultimate kind of meh player to me. I mean, he does... He'll, he has games, or he has his moments. Uh, Nickel State and Iowa State, he got a 3-4, and four pre- or 4-3 and three pressures, respectively. Or quarterback hurries, I should say. But he's only had two sacks on the year, and one of which was against Colorado. He's not recorded a sack since he played Houston. So, again, Oyewale, eh, he's fine. Uh, Caleb Fox played here last year, uh, and it's the same exact eval <laughs> as last year. He's an okay edge player. Uh, who plays pretty solid run defense, but trades that off with pass rush ability. He's a decent force player. That's all I really got. (laughs) Uh, 6'3", 315 pounds, so he's more the size of a traditional defensive tackle. So I kind of think of him like Jalen Pickle, is how I would sort of think of him. I love how every single time we get a defensive end who's just big, I'm just going to call them Jalen Pickle. (laughs) I I can't think of a better comp, honestly. (laughs) But yeah, that's their edge players. Neither of them are... They're not your traditional, like, sexy edge players. where They're they're not the sack collectors. That would be their linebackers. Yeah, so at linebacker, we start with number four, Nandi Obiizor. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he is the brother of true freshman K-State defensive end uh, Chidi Obiizor. So... Uh, it's a little bit of a family feud going on uh, there, I guess. Uh, I don't, I don't know what that's like, really. I mean, they'll never see each other on the field. They're both defensive players, yeah. but it'd be funny if they did. <laughs> but, uh, but he was a safety last year. Last year, we're pretty sure of. But he's really more playing linebacker uh, this year, uh, and you can kind of tell because he does play linebacker like he's a safety. Shocker, uh, and. Um, it's for better and for worse, uh, which um, for the better, he's more creative at getting to the ball. He's better in coverage, of course, um, but he's not the type of player that's always going to meet blocks like a linebacker would or should. It is just kind of hit and miss with him. Like He's had some truly fantastic games in the run defense this year, and he's had a few great games in coverage, but he's kind of in between where he's really not ever fully put together a great, fantastic game. Uh, 
uh, with both. He's had plenty of games where he's been good um, to even close to great in both of those. Uh, he's really consistent at tackling as well. He's getting a lot of pressures too. Uh, but again, it's all hit and miss. And again, one of his best games on the year is Nichols State, but everybody on TCU had an incredible game against Nichols State, so it's hard to draw much from that. Uh, but he's a good player. Yeah, he was already a good player last year, and uh, he's had some quality games against quality competition. Like he an 80.9 grade against West Virginia with great run defense and tackling. Uh, Iowa State, he had a, his best coverage game of the year, according to PFF, and another great tackling game, and fine run defense. So uh, I guess it depends on if we get coverage, Namdi OPI or, or if we get run defense, Namdi OPI or because we've not really seen him do both at an elite level yet. Yeah. But otherwise, he is very dangerous still. Mm-hmm. But that brings us to the next guy, which is Jamoy Hodge. Uh, he's been around for a little bit. He's 6'2", 235. Uh, he's been... His grades aren't incredible this year. In fact, he's had a few really bad graded games. But honestly, I, I like him a lot as a linebacker. Um, I mean, last year he was um, a linebacker that just plays with his hair on fire. Uh, he's a tackle for loss leader. Uh, he reacts to plays so quickly that it's difficult to track him across the field. Uh, so sometimes he does get himself drawn in more than he should, or he ends up falling a little bit too much for misdirection or play action because he's so fast to react. Like that's one of the drawbacks of that. You have to um, be able to react quickly, but not so quickly that you're getting pulled out of play. So um, he's had a f- um, some games that aren't graded incredibly well, but I still think he's a really quality linebacker. I think he's an above average linebacker as well. I, I'm really uh, worried about how we'll guard him just because of the type of player he is. Uh, he'll be dangerous an issue. On a blitz. Very yeah. dangerous on yeah. blitz. Yeah, he's got 21 pressures this year, three sacks, 17 quarterback hurries. Uh, he he gets into the backfield a lot, so we we need to be very wary of him at Mike. Yeah. Now you get the Johnny Hodges replacement. Yeah, so this normally would be where we talk about Johnny Hodges, but it's uh, Shadrick Banks Jr., uh, 6'1", 250. I think he goes by Shad. Uh, he's been up and down um, this year, although he's been, although he just is coming off a pretty good game against BYU. Of course, he played good against Nickel State. Everybody played good against Nickel State. Yeah, so It's not an accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, he had a, a little rough stretch of games against West Virginia and Iowa State, uh, at least according to PFF. But he was pretty quality against BYU. Uh He's another guy that sometimes plays like a safety playing run support, which is weird because he's 250 pounds. Yeah. But uh, he's more likely to try and dive to tackle than he is to really wrap up. Uh, his pursuit angles aren't incredible, uh, which means that his dive tackles um, a lot of times are kind of like a desperation attempt more than a style. And uh, when he does try to take on blocks, it is kind of ugly, uh, which is interesting for somebody of his size i suppose it's very weird proportions he's kind of like the the anti johnny hodges where johnny hodges it's you know it's the money ball meme what does he do gets on base gets on base what does johnny hodges do man can he tackle (laughs) and that's it whereas this guy is a little bit more he's definitely a lot better in coverage he's a better athlete but tackling eh, not his game now we can talk about their corners, including uh, I, I'm just uh, I'm just gonna straight up throw this out there. Uh, their corner room is Josh Newton, Bud Clark, and Avery Helm. Starting with Josh Newton, he's best corner in the Big Twelve. Uh, I there probably are people that's gonna push back against that. Probably pointed at Texas corner. Uh, I don't think it's close. I think Josh Newton is the best corner in the Big Twelve. Uh, he has the ideal size, six foot one ninety. Uh, he's a ULM transfer. ULM mentioned. Uh, and then you get, he was from here at TC last year. I thought he was the better corner here last year uh, when Travis Hodges Tomlinson was here. People called me crazy for that at the time. I don't think I'm crazy anymore. I never was. But <laughs> I he's graded out ridiculously well this entire year. He has an 83.9 total defensive grade, 70.5 run defense. His tackling's fine. Uh, and then his coverage grade is 84.9. He's just sticky. He has ball skills. He understands how to manipulate the quarterback when he's in zone. 
and you can't say he's not a good tackler because he's generally a pretty solid one. There is nothing that Josh Newton does on the football field that is bad. Like he is by far the best corner in the Big 12, and I pray for whoever <laughs> is, whichever K-State receiver is lined up against him, I don't think we have the receiver talent to truly beat Josh Newton because we didn't have it last year <laughs> except for like the one Cade Warner fade ball <laughs> which I will always remember <laughs> when, he, when Cade Warner mossed an old Big 12 <laughs> corner <laughs> completely uncalled for unnecessary even but then you get their other two corners which is are significantly worse where you have Bud Clark starting with he's just not he's not the headiest player in the world by that I mean he errs on the side of caution but he's just really slow reacting to the play. Meaning in the moments that he does get frozen, he's just going to go backwards as opposed to forwards, which is probably what you should do if you're a defensive back, but it's still worth noting. Uh, He also seems a bit more comfortable playing in off coverage than being in the guy's face, but even then he's not covering particularly well. The other two corners just aren't... They aren't all that. Avery Helm has has his moments... Uh, he's pretty passive in run support though, but he's tried to be a decent wrap-up tackler. But in terms of coverage, he's started every single game, and there's just not a lot to really say about him. Because he's, both Bud Clark and Avery Helm are generously average. Uh, if you're being more critical, they have some really fundamental flaws to their game, like Bud Clark. Bud Clark's slow ability to react, and Avery Helms probably his athleticism or his ability to stay in the hip pocket, which is especially notable for a team that plays a, wants to play some man coverage. But Connor, you have the defensive backs known as safeties. Okay, <laughs> I I originally just was just gonna say defensive backs before I realized I was stupid. <laughs> You're not stupid, buddy. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Friendship, Friendship wins, wins again. again. Uh, anyway, Mark, Mark Perry. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Mark Perry. He's a safety. He's six foot two fifteen. Uh, he's a guy that's back from last year. Uh, he's probably their best communicator at safety. Um, although his coverage, um, it does vary from game to game. Uh, even though he's pretty much always a good tackler, especially in most of Big Twelve play. The last three weeks, he's been a fantastic tackler. Even though his coverage has been inconsistent. Uh, he, he does mainly play a lot of coverage, um, but he finds himself in uh, run support situations a lot, and he's a he's just a really good tackler. The last three games, he's averaged around an 80 to 81 in tackle grade, which is really, really good. So there, there's a lot to like about uh, Mark Perry. Um, his coverage issues, though, could come from at least partially that he's not the, mo- he's not the fastest guy for a defensive back. Um, and that probably is why he ends up being strong safety, um, or at least one of them because of how the 3-5 through five works for TCO. But he, he's an all-around solid guy. Uh, not too bad at safety, and he'll, he's a very sure tackler. But that brings up the next guy, which is Millard Bradford. Uh, he's 5'11", 190. Uh, he's been around forever, but he only recently has gotten his way back into the uh, the starting lineup for TCU. I mean, he's a five-year guy at TCU, which you, you're seeing fewer and fewer guys that really stick around for a long time. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying that you just don't see it as much, which is just objectively true. Uh, so he's had a little bit rough go of it as of late, and he's not been able to find a uh, consistent home in the defensive backfield. He's played some strong safety, which is what he's playing right now, but he's also played some free safety this year. And he's had... Only a handful of really good games. Uh, SMU, he was fantastic. And he was pretty good against BYU, especially in coverage. But um, tackling's been a bit of an issue for him this year, according to PFF. Uh, but he does everything in between a free safety and a strong safety, uh, which unfortunately makes him a bit of a tweener in that sense. He doesn't really fit being a free safety or strong safety, uh, which makes it hard for him to figure out um, which position to play. And it also makes it hard to say what he's doing. Uh, any given uh, situation. That's not familiar to anyone in K-State lore history, especially recent history. No. Wayne Jones. No. 
Never heard of that guy before. <laughs> not real. Not a real person. Yeah, my, my prevailing Wayne Jones memory is him as a true freshman starting like five yards away from the ball and like two seconds before the ball snapped, sprinting backwards as fast as possible. And then him basically being the sole reason Brees Hall got like a 75-yard touchdown against us. Yeah, in like 2021. 21, yeah. Because yeah. we were still doing the show at that point. Anyway, last safety. <laughs> yeah. Um, last guy's Abe Kamara. Uh, his coverage instincts um, and handoffs at safety are generally pretty good. He's been a fairly consistent part of that defensive backfield as well. He had a really good game against West Virginia with um, an 88.3 in coverage and 87.4 overall. But otherwise, he's only had one game where his overall grade was below a 60. So everything's been at least a little above average for him. Uh, he's especially strong at handling uh, coverage handoffs in the short or intermediate parts of the field. Uh, so that, that says a lot about him. And uh, it also may be telling that he does play some strong safety, but he also has been listed as slot cornerback a Which little. Which means he's the jack safety. Yeah, so he, he's he got a little bit of both uh, in his game. Uh, he, he's a little bit more of a true hybrid player, but not in the Miller Bradford sense of where he kind of doesn't know which one he is. But it's it's the Abe Kamara way in that he, he knows both. And he knows multiple positions and he's versatile enough to play a versatile position that asks multiple things of him yeah exactly so now we get into the stories to watch for this game first and foremost to me is uh which quarterback does tcu spend more time preparing for for k-state do they spend more time with a more traditional passer of will howard or the electrifying running ability and maybe a little bit less playbook knowledge in terms of avery johnson i'm almost certain you're spending more time getting ready for Avery if you're TCU. Um, they've seen Will Howard before. They saw him twice last year. Uh, so, although the first time they didn't expect to, but they've seen their defense, at least the guys that were playing last year and saw him last year, they've seen him twice already. They've not seen Avery Johnson before. They've really only seen like three quarters of a game of Avery Johnson actually playing. So, I think you have to prepare for Avery Johnson if you're TCU. Uh, that, that's who you're less familiar with. And I think that you need to focus your preparation on him while still making some preparations for Will. Because uh, ultimately, I bet we see both. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's what I'd do if I was TCU. Yeah. But then this is in the next story to watch, which is uh, can K-State do a better job of making Josh Hoover, uh, TCU's quarterback, uncomfortable uh, than BYU? Well, I'll tell you that K-State's defensive line and pass rush is considerably better than BYU's. But I would honestly, I'd say maybe a little bit, but not as much as people would probably think. And a lot of that is because Josh Hoover is a really good manipulator of the pocket. Like He's not going to walk himself into dumb sacks, and he's not going to walk himself into bad situations. In fact, he's probably going to find some way to escape them more often than not. But... I'd say that K-State does a better job of making him uncomfortable and getting him off his spot, which I think is probably the winning formula. Yeah, which uh, if you're not going to get a sack, you want to at least do that. Uh, since he did perform fairly decently under pressure uh, compared to when he was kept clean, there, there wasn't a huge drop-off, like not a notable enough one. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah. Can K-State's defense continue TCU's offensive red zone woes, especially with a redshirt freshman quarterback? I think so. Uh, K-State did a pretty good job against Tech um, in extended drives and slowing them down. Over They had that um, red zone interception, uh, which was, of course, huge. Um, but they didn't even let them get that far um, most of the time. So I'm, I'm saying yes. I think... Uh, KCA can do a good job clamping down when they need to. Uh, and it definitely helps that TCU is already not a good red zone team anyways. So that'll at least be a pretty major benefit for K-State in trying to defend that. Yep. So that takes us to the next one. How does KCA handle the physicality of the TCU receiving options? Boy, oh boy, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> um, if we don't have Will Lee... Well, even if we have Will Lee, they have a lot of people that we don't match up with well in terms of physicality. Uh, I think VJ Payne matches up just fine with uh, JP Richardson. I think I don't. I'm not too worried about that matchup. If we don't have Will Lee, that means it's either Keenan Garber or uh, Jacob Parrish on Savion Williams. I'm gonna tell you something right now. 
neither of those are particularly winning matchups just based off of size. Though, Will, like, Keenan-Garber probably is the better size matchup. I just worry about Keenan-Garber getting unlucky again, <laughs> as he has a tendency to do. But, like, I think that if TCU is to win this game, it's based off of the physicality of their receivers, just basically playing bully ball and being a bunch of post players against the K-State defensive backs. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. Uh, hopefully the safeties can kind of be enforcers in that sense. I think that's our best shot for really being physical with the receivers because Keenan and Jacob, I think, are good corners, but they are definitely not physical corners, at least in the sense that we need to be with TCU. Yeah. And the last question for this, at least, is how does Klein try to get guys open against probably the second best secondary we've seen this year versus MU, by the way? Yeah, um, I think we need to accept that whoever Josh Newton is covering is somebody that's not going to be thrown to. Uh, so that's probably Keegan Johnson. Maybe there's a few plays where we get Keegan on someone else, but then whoever else is on Josh Newton does not get to be open for a play. Um, considering that our receivers have really struggled to get open the last few weeks against uh, inferior secondaries, I'm very concerned about this. Uh, I, I think that's going to be easier than ever for teams to double Ben Sinnott, uh, which has been their goal, is double Ben Sinnott and assume that our receivers can't get open, which didn't work as much early in the year, but it's it's been working the last few weeks. Our receivers aren't doing enough right now, and so I think that I don't really have an answer for this that's satisfying, I don't think. I'm not really sure how you get guys open uh, against TCU secondary, uh, even including Ben Sinnott. The best solution might be just running two tight end a lot, uh, just put fewer receivers on the field and try and get maybe Garrett Oakley open a lot because Ben's probably going to be doubled. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you how Iowa State did it. Iowa State played a lot of two tight ends, played a lot of motion, and basically Rocco Beck played a bunch of point guard <laughs> where he was his job was to distribute, not necessarily to win uh, like the deep routes. His job was to play point guard, take care of the football, and take the underneath stuff. That was his job. And that actually ended up working out pretty well for Iowa State. But now we go into offensive and defensive MVPs. I'm going to go Ben Sinnott as my offensive MVP, and then I'm going to go Kobe Savage as my defensive MVP. Uh, I jokingly said before the episode it's a lab experiment hybrid of Avery Johnson and Will Howard, but um, the true answer is probably going... Like I don't think I can honestly say anybody but Avery Johnson, although I guess more broadly it's the quarterbacks. Um, I ever The expectations for Avery are maybe, including myself, I think they're honestly too high right now, uh, even though I'm also falling victim to it, so I can't really say much about it. Uh, but I'm just going to assume no one can stop them until they do. So I'm, I'm picking Avery for offensive MVP. Yeah. And then... Uh... Who's your, uh, your defensive MVP? I'm rolling with Des Purnell. Um, we've talked a lot about the receivers and Josh Hoover, but Amani Bailey is maybe the best running back in the Big 12 right now. Uh, or at the very least, he's probably top three. There's a lot of good running backs right now, but Bailey may lead uh, the pack. And Des Purnell, I think we're going to need a lot from him. Uh, to I think we're going to really need him to step up because it's been mainly Moore and Romaine stepping up the last few weeks at linebacker. Um, but we now know Romaine has a broken wrist, and I think he hurt his shoulder against Texas Tech. There's even more being thrown onto Austin Moore's plate. Des needs to have a big game, I think, for our run defense to be able to at least attempt to contain Imani Bailey. Yep. Now, before I get into score projections, let me just say that I think there is a world where K-State loses this game. Like I said did earlier... Did you say your defensive MVP? Yeah, I did. I said at the beginning. I said Kobe. Oh, I didn't even hear. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> Um, I think there's a world where K-State does lose this game. Uh, and if they are to lose this game, they lose this game because they got out physicality. Not necessarily on defense, but almost certainly on offense. If we let Josh Hoover get comfortable and operate over the middle of the field, he's fully capable of doing that, and their receivers are good enough rack threats and dangerous enough that the tackling would be a concern. Uh, that's how they put up points against us. Um, and their secondary is really good. So, like, there is a world where TCU beats K-State. 
That being said, the th- reason I don't have that happening is because TCU's offense, even when they had Chandler Morris, the experienced quarterback who's probably a bit more of a runner, they were god-awful in the red zone. And I expect that to continue. So I have this being a 28-15 to Cats victory because I'm not even really sure that TCU, unless they get a really big explosive play, I'm not sure they get into the end zone more than once. I think it's a lot of field goals. I went up with the score 45-31 Cats. So I'm a much different game script than you. Uh, the main reason for this is because I do I don't think it's going to be a complete blowout, so I had to justify giving TCU 31 points. I guess <laughs> like or I guess I didn't really justify it, but I think Avery Johnson follows up his five rushing touchdown performance with six rushing touchdowns. Okay, dog. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I also want the prediction out there so in case it happens, I can say I said it first. But real, yeah. Avery um, has another magical game. Uh, K State wins by 14. Alright. you have any final thoughts? Uh, I am anxiously awaiting the quarterback situation and uh, figuring out who's starting and who's coming off the bench. You and everyone else. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at AggievilleACats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in our Twitter bio or the podcast bio. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>